0: Gara watched her children from her perch in the sky. After she'd penned them in, they had begun to act out. Petulant, they paced inside their cage. Their stomachs empty, their weapons locked and loaded. Trapped, they turned on each other in a game they called survival. They showed each other less mercy than the beasts in the Forbidden Forests. They killed with a death that jumped through thin air by twitch of hand. Bodies littered the desolate streets. The fallow fields floated down poisoned rivers until their bones drifted out into the sea and sank. A stench hung over the land her children occupied. Gara watched them as they destroyed each other, as they murdered with the same expression they'd once worn to bake bread, plant seeds, weave clothes. Their savagery mixed up with her memories of their past, and soon she couldn't recognize them anymore. Eventually, she forgot how to feel for them, Hope for them, these new children of hers. They had become something else. Something born of desperation that had yielded to hate. Something monstrous. Gara sat on her perch in the sky, and a strange calm beset her. She wondered then, as a the darkness crept closer, what it would have been like, what the world would have been like, if she had never had any children at all. This has been your early morning gospel of Gara, Olithros five, the years of violence. May we tread lightly upon the earth today and every day henceforth. I'm not supposed to be out here. If anyone sees me through their window, under the faint glow of the morning moon, there would be questions about my faith. Maybe an inquisition by the Constitute, if I get unlucky. Moon's hooves pound wildly against the dirt road. The gospel fills the city air, its stench new to me all over again. Afraid of being recognized, I duck close against Moon's back. Maybe I should just be glad that I'm alive. I bring Moon back to her pen in the hotel barn. The last lines of the gospel echo down from the open windows across the street. After closing the gate behind us, I carefully apply cream to her cuts and brush the cake dirt from her legs. I whisper apologies against her shiny coat, along her dark shoulders. But Moon seems to have already put the night behind her. I feel afraid to move, now that we've stopped running. As if anything I do could just make things worse. My neck hurts. My ankles are burning. I can still feel the stringy weeds wrapping themselves around my legs. Time moves without me as I stare into one of Moon's ears. It flicks to ward off things I can't see. I stroke her jaw, her cheek. I almost got us killed. Foolish, selfish, hot-headed Harper. I promise I'll never do something like that again. I whisper against her ribs, but she just grunts and lies down. Closes her eyes to go to sleep. We've been up all night. The sun is just barely rising over the horizon, and I need to get in at least a few hours before I report to Kane. Kane, Kane, Kane. What had he been doing in those woods? After we passed the white boulder, the small trail widened into a road. Its imposing, impossible existence I had no answer for, not even the right thoughts to question why, how but Cain was ahead on that wide road, and so we followed. We stayed on the large road for a long time. Eventually, it forked east, and Moon and I came upon a river. Large planks made of something colder than stone hovered just above the water, spanning entirely across in a gentle arch. The water was very calm, more like a lake than a river. We crossed over, slowly, so Moon's hooves wouldn't clank loudly against the black planks. Then north again, along the opposite riverbank. As we rode, the trees seemed to multiply, even though the road ahead remained clear. Large trees, with their dark green leaves, hovered around us like tangible clouds, sucking us deep into the forbidden wilderness. Hanging low above our heads, the leaves blacked out everything but the road ahead yet I could still hear the river. Hearing its soft rushing made me feel like I was still in control, like I still knew where we were going. But the feeling wouldn't last long. The cut on the side of my neck isn't deep, but it's crusted with my sticky blood. As the man with the badge comes closer, I'm able to pull up my black neck square just in time. The wife is at the law office. Sheriff Kane told me to come get you. This is my third visit to the hotel. He says it in calm reproach. Then the deputy, with the long forehead, eyes me up and down. My dirty pants. My soiled shirt. My badly beaten face. I just went for a ride. I don't think they're taking my horse out enough. My voice is breezy, but I want to howl at him for standing in the street. For cutting me off. I just want to go to my room and collapse on the bed. I just need to take a quick river bath, tell Kane I'll be up within the hour. The deputy doesn't look happy, but nods and walks off, kicking up tiny dust clouds on the dry road. The river is cold and empty. The sun hasn't had time to rise. I crouch down at the river's edge, letting the water soak up around my waist. I wash the blood from my neck, my arms, my ankles tiny red streaks that turn invisible with the water. I take my shirt off and rub a jagged rock against it, hard, stretching the cloth. Red clouds live between my knees for a second, then they disappear as well. The evidence of last night is eaten by the river. I splash my face once more and rub my eyes. Too tired to wring out my clothes, I stand soaking wet on the riverbank, stare out onto the water, I pick up my satchel and my holster, head past the sad-looking trees of the city river bank, and head back to the hotel, leaving a wet trail as I go. My feet squeaking in my boots. Ilse looks at me wide-eyed and with hesitant alarm as I trail past her to the dining-room. My hair wild, my clothes dripping. I fill my plate and walk right back out. No one stops me for fear I might sit next to them upstairs. The little growler is waiting. I open up and sit on the floor, sharing my plate with a tiny creature, who manages to eat more than half its share before I can. Still hungry, I rifle through my satchel. My fingers stub against something squishy, and it pops wet against them. There's a sweet smell as I hold my hand to my face. The little growler is making its neck sounds, and has managed to burrow itself under my bug net for a nap on the hotel bed. With exhaustion tugging at my face, I wish we could switch bodies, even for just a few minutes. I dump the contents of my satchel on the floor, my knife, serrated and bloody, an empty bottle of bug paste, the thing that has tainted my hands. I smell my fingers again, lick them, and I realize I have tasted this thing before. After moving deeper into the forest to avoid being caught by Cain, we had gotten very, very lost. The river was nowhere in sight. The road, which seemed so wide and imposing earlier, now seemed like something I'd imagined. Stumbling through the woods, trees standing closer and closer together, I stroked Moon's neck and whispered to her that everything was going to be okay. We just had to find the river, or the road but we kept stumbling through the forest, and neither materialized. After an hour, I gave up and leaned against a tree to rest while Moon foraged along the forest floor for something edible. The exertion was growing hunger in me, too, despite the rising panic above it in my chest. I had no idea how to get us back. I tightened Moon's reins to a low-hanging branch and hoisted myself up onto the tree, then onto a second branch and the next. I hadn't climbed a tree in years. It was harder than I remembered. But soon the woods were laid out around me, and I could see the way. There was an open patch of land close by, and the river lay just beyond it. Thank Gara, I thought, as I clambered back down to Moon. I was going to get us out of this mess. I led Moon towards the open patch of land, twigs cracking loudly beneath our legs, The sound reverberated around the tree trunks. If Cain was close by, he would hear. But it had been hours since I'd seen him last. By now, he was probably long gone. When we got to the field between us and the river, I realized that it was smattered with flecks of red. Before I could stop her, Moon had lowered her head and eaten something off the ground. I kneeled beside her and realized the red dots were berries. It was an entire field of wild red berries. Gently, I plucked one from the ground and held it in my palm. It looked like two swollen thumbs pressed together. Moon ate another one, looked at me while she chewed, as if inviting me to do the same. I rubbed her flank, just in case, as if I could ward off poison. Then I picked a few of the berries myself and put them in my satchel. It didn't feel quite right to trample them, So Moon and I hooked to the edge of the field, made our way towards the river with gentle steps. We had almost made it to the opposite side. One of the berries was clutched in my hand. I was so hungry, I was about to give in, risk poison. But then something caught my eye. A large figure. Low to the ground, it streaked across the field, almost silent, except for a gentle pitter-patter of paws against the leaves of the berry plants. It was coming right for us, like we had a crosshairs placed between us. We had been so lost that I'd forgotten about the warnings of the gospel, forgotten about the beasts that roamed the Forbidden Zone. I clutched Moon's reins and started to run across the field. Soft dirt flew out around my boots and her hooves. We cleared the field and— As we crossed back into the woods, I turned to face the shadowy beast headed towards us. Right there, at the edge of the field, before the dark of the forest would hide it again, I saw. Its fangs were twisted up in a snarl, its eyes were dark and focused as it looked into mine. It didn't break the gaze between us. It lunged. Sitting on the floor in my hotel room, I let the large, wounded berry slide over my tongue and teeth. So familiar, but not quite. Mixed with something else, but what? The answer comes to me immediately, a parallel thought. Jack's secret ingredient. This doesn't make sense. I stand and walk over to the window that looks down onto the nearby buildings. I grow them on the roof so no one can steal them. Smart, I told him. Just not quite smart enough. He must have not realized that I'm staying in a room on the second floor. He probably didn't even realize I am staying at the hotel. The roof of the bar is empty. Paint it white to keep it from overheating. White and completely barren, front to back. All those times I was just sitting at the window, looking out. How could I have not noticed this? They didn't really believe in all that Gara stuff, Jack had said to me. So neither do I. So what then, Jack? What the shit do you believe in? Was the field I stumbled upon last night yours? Are you friendly with the vicious beasts that guard it? Are you their master? I will have to ask him these questions as soon as I get a chance. But I'm still looking down onto the street below. The sun is now bearing down onto the dust, and then I make out the deputy with the long forehead walking towards the hotel. I stuff the satchel with the berries and the bloody knife under the bed. The little growler cocks his head as I go to leave, but then looks towards the open window and relaxes back onto its side. I close the door behind me. Deputy Forehead is waiting for me in the lobby, talking to Ilsa. He seems eager, and she seems bored. I'm ready. Sorry about that. I fell off my horse this morning. had to clean out some of the cuts. I hope that this admission will put him off the trail. It looks like he's trying to suppress a grin at my expense, but then he just nods at Ilsa as we go to leave. I roll my eyes at her, and she rolls her eyes back at me. Kane has been with the wife for hours. I tried to get you, but no one was answering your door, and the hotel manager wouldn't open the door for me, said he didn't want to upset people's privacy, even after I told him I was law. The deputy seems annoyed. I'm sorry about that. I'm a very deep sleeper. I'll have to buy Ginley a beer for this. Yeah, well, next time, maybe go to bed earlier. I'm not sure if this is meant to be a jab at my frequent visits to the bar, or if he harbors deeper suspicions. But I don't take the bait, and we walk in silence the rest of the way. We find the wife, another deputy, as well as Kane crammed into the tiny room with the large table. The wife is a rather plump woman. Her clothes are very clean, almost shiny, as they press against her bulging arms and back as she moves uneasily in her chair. Both her wrists are covered in jewels, as is her neck. Twisted metal around stones, shaped like petals in blues and greens, her necklace is a large flat stone. The image of the winged Gara etched into it, an offering to the great goddess meant to keep her safe. It's no wonder the husband thought he could take something and think he'd get away with it. She'd sink in the river like a rock. Kane is interviewing her as we walk in. Forehead nods an apology, and I lean against the wall across from the woman, right behind Kane, who is seated. While I look over at the wife and her jewels, I can't help but notice how strong Kane's shoulders look beneath his shirt. So you haven't seen your husband in six days? Kane's voice is dripping with sympathy, but I can tell it's a trap. She nods and her eyes are rimmed with tears as she says, He was supposed to be home yesterday, but when he didn't come back, I sent a messenger to your law office. Kane nods as the woman goes on. And I appreciate your coming right up to me and making sure I get here all right. I shift against the wall, trying to get comfortable. Did you know of his... his girlfriends? Cain prods gently. The woman closes her eyes, and tears spill down her plump cheeks. A tiny nod. Shame flushes her face. Why, is that where he is? Is that where you found him? Worry comes through in her voice, despite of herself. I feel bad for the woman. It's possible she loves her husband, despite his transgressions, and in about three minutes... All the fruits and jewels in the entire United Cities of America won't be able to make her feel better. Did you ever get the sense that something was off? That your husband was different somehow? Kane's voice is innocent, but the woman looks up, confused. Her eyes bounce from Kane to me to the other two deputies in the room. We don't move. It feels like the air is getting sucked out of the room. What do you mean? She hugs herself tightly, her large breasts perch on top of her forearms. What do you mean by, was he different? Kane clears his throat. <clears throat> it uh, appears that two of the women your husband was involved with have turned up dead. And that one of them, he looks around at us as if for support before going on, appears to happen carrying something of yours. He stresses the last word, yours. At least he's omitting the fact that the wife of Willie Haino likely ate the jewel to stop the husband from giving it back to his wife. That he likely killed her in his rage to retrieve it. I don't understand. Carrying something of mine? The wife leans forward, her chest spilling up over the hem of her shirt. And what do you mean turned up dead? Her voice is shaking. What is going on? Are you implying my husband hurt somebody? The woman looks at Cain, focusing all her attention on him. You brought me here, telling me you had information about my husband. What is this? Where is he? She's crying now. Cain inhales deeply. I'm going to show you something, and I can't stress this enough. You need to tell me honestly if you recognize it. He looks towards the deputy that is isn't forehead and she leaves the room. We wait in silence, and all of us stare down at the surface of the dark wood table. The deputy returns with a small bowl. The bracelet, now cleaned of stomach juices, glints under the light of the dim bulb. The deputy hands it to Kane, who places the bowl in front of the wife, who refuses to raise her eyes. Kane slides the bowl into her view, and she turns away. It's mine, she says quietly, and tears streak down her face in tiny waves. It's mine, she says again and looks up at us. What about the girls? What happened with the girls? The deputies take her out of the room to file her statement, and Kane and I remain in the room, staring at the bracelet and the bowl. You look like shit, Kane says, looking across the table as I take the seat. I thought I sent you home to get some rest. I place my head in my hands and look over at him. Why didn't you tell me you were going to get the wife? Didn't see the need. Didn't need two people to protect her from one sleazebag husband. Figured I'd give you the morning off. Kane looks at me. His eyes are glazed. There are bags hanging beneath them. You don't look so hot yourself. I tell him, and he laughs. I remember what he looked like last night, without his shirt on, wet from the river. I rubbed my face to remove the image. Moon and I had been gently trotting down the road in the Forbidden Zone, when suddenly we came across Cain's horse. This was before we had gotten lost, before we had had to hide from Cain in the woods. We came upon his horse, tied up to a tree along the road, and we almost trotted right into it under the dark canopy of trees that hovered around us. I tied Moon up a few paces ahead on the path, then I snuck back on my own. Kane's horse recognized me as I passed and kept quiet. Somehow I knew to go to the river, knew that this is where he was, though I still can't figure out exactly how I knew. As I crept closer, I thought that what I'd see would explain everything, but it explained nothing. Making sure to stay away far enough so I wouldn't be discovered, I crouched near the ground as I crept closer, the sound of the gentle river grew louder. Kane was up to his hips in the water, wading in. His back was turned to me, but his shoulders gleamed pale in the moonlight. His head disappeared as he dove in. I watched him leaned against a tree. His head re-emerged and bobbed under several more times, until he suddenly started to swim back toward shore. His shadowy figure started to emerge from the water, and I snapped back to reality he couldn't find me here. There was no explanation. Quietly, I made my way back past his horse, back to Moon. Once I found her, I realized that if Kane were to double back and come back up the same road, he would run right into us. Without thinking what direction we were headed in, I pulled Moon blindly into the forest, away from the river. To get far enough away from the road, I took us further and further into the woods. Finally, As Moon started to protest, I allowed us to rest before we started back from where we'd come. But the road wasn't there anymore. I pulled Moon into every direction until every direction looked the same. Close to tears, in the darkness of the forest, I had to admit that I had no idea where we had ended up. The same trees surrounded us in all directions. I stopped, leaned against Moon, and let out a small whimper. So, what do we do now? I rub my face and try not to smell the sweet of Jack's berry still stuck to my fingers. The husband never went home, so I think we can assume he's still in the city, somewhere. Kane sighs. It's a big city. I look down at the table. My head feels empty. More than ten thousand souls. Kane agrees. We best get started. Setting out on foot. Cain and I start going door-to-door from the southernmost part of the city, then the plan is to work our way up. He is assigned Western Quarter and the park to his deputies. I'm willing to work alongside my deputies, he grunts in mock heroics, but I'm not above assigning them the shit jobs so I don't have to do them. I don't object, since this means neither do I. The southernmost tip of Eastern Quarter looks all the way down the muddy island of New York, We're interviewing a young wife who's bouncing her baby in her arms and seems annoyed with us. I can tell from her paunch that she's a wealthy woman. She assures us that she has never seen the man in the sketch Kane is holding up beside his own face. The baby cries, but I'm distracted, looking out across the ocean. If I squint hard enough, I can see something strange way out there in the sea. "'What is that?' I ask Kane when he's done talking to the young mother and we turn to leave. We walk towards the house next door, and I point. What? Kane shields his eyes from the sun and peers out into the ocean. It looks like a large wave. I shield my eyes and stand next to him, squinting again, letting my elbows brush against his ribs. But it's not moving. Harper, we don't have time for this. He's begun to use my first name more and more. We're still trying to hunt down a killer, so please focus. I shrug and follow him up to the next house. It's my turn to ask the questions. Kane says it's part of my exam now. After canvassing several more streets, we stop at a street vendor for berry cups. We walk and eat, trying to figure out the best plan. So far, we haven't found anyone who recognized the husband, let alone anyone who's seen him in the last two days. Maybe he only knows the mayor and no one else. I push a berry into my mouth and grin. Yeah, right. I know the mayor. Cain imitates the man's voice in a mocking tone. I know the mayor, and only the mayor. Maybe some of Willie's wives, but mostly the mayor. We both laugh. My fingers are stained blue from the berries as I slap him gently on the shoulder. We shouldn't laugh. We really shouldn't. His fingers are stained just as blue as he grabs my hand, warding off further slaps. Kane? I turn to him, looking up. Do you ever think about leaving New York? I haven't before, no. He smiles, but before I can assign the smile any meaning, a shot ring comes down on us. We both drop our berries in surprise, the tin cups landing in the dust. Kane grabs my arm, and we sprint to stand in the nearest doorway. The house appears to be empty, and we duck in, breathing heavily as the rain buckets down, turning the dusty road into a river. The doorway is narrow. Kane's knee bumps against mine. I look up at him and smile. Quite the reflexes he got. I grin. The white of our shirts looks marked in patches where the rain managed to catch us. Our hands and faces gleam wet. Not fast enough we still got wet. He grins back at me, his other knee bumps against my inner thigh. I'm still staring into his blue eyes, his mouth is turned up into a grin. I don't know if I've ever seen him that happy before. We are wedged close together. I let my wet sleeve drop down next to his hip. A strangled urge starts in my throat, moves through my chest, down through me. He's kissing me before I can realize it's happening. I gasp into his mouth. His hands move along my arms quickly, as if he can't help himself. And then he's holding me up by my hips and kissing me hard. And I'm pushing against him, pushing him into the wall, inhaling his skin, his mouth. He smells like the rain that is still pounding down onto the street beside us. The scent of wet soil wafting around us. But just as quickly as the flash rain stops, so does Cain. He pulls away from me. The street outside steams as the sun beats out the clouds. What? I want to pull him close again, but I know he won't let me. I remember what his rejecting me felt like the first time, and I let it go. We shouldn't. He looks at me, sheepish. We should wait. I would be angry, but I'm simply too tired. So I just nod and mumble, all right, and follow him out into the street wet dirt sucking at my boots. The satchel strap bounced gently up and down on my shoulder as the wild beast trailed after us, effortless. Its hushed sprint close to the forest floor like a moving shadow. It snarled viciously from time to time, as if to remind us it was still there. In the dark, its fangs gleamed. Often, they were the only thing I could see when I turned back around. Then I heard the pitter-patter of its paw stop. Had it given up? But as I turned, I saw that the beast had leaned its head back and was letting out a loud, high-pitched scream. The beast's screeching cry echoed through the forest, and then to my horror was answered by another equally terrifying cry. The blood in my veins froze. There was more than one. Moon and I tried to run, but it was almost impossible— Roots made the ground uneven, weeds and brush clung to my feet. Moon stumbled alongside me, and I kept falling, over and over again. Every time I pulled myself back up, I could smell the blood that covered my arms and knees. And every time I turned around, it seemed as if there were more of them. One beast turned into three, turned into five. I lost count in the dark amidst the trees, in the horror that drove us to keep on running. We're going to die. I remember thinking, "Gara warned us, and we didn't listen, and now we are going to die. I knew we were close to the river, but the beasts seemed to know it too. They had started to surround us, as if they meant to cut us off at the helm. Panting, I slid the knife out of my satchel. If the beasts wanted a fight, they were about to find it. Exhausted, Moon slowed beside me. With the knife tight in my hand, Large, fanged like the beasts themselves, we kept steady towards the river, almost as if we were agreed, the beasts and us, that this would be the final chapter of our chase. The animals started slowing their pace to ours and to close in on us like a noose. The river was a few paces ahead, and in the clearing of its beach, I could see their shagged fur as they closed in from both sides. The river was gently rushing ahead, and I tugged Moon's reins we broke into a final sprint water slid around my ankles the beast so near i dared not look moon was already in the river bounding up and down sensing their closeness as she sped ahead her animal instinct overriding her allegiance to me and leaving me behind anxious whinnies in the dark i was bending my knees to jump into the water when one of the beasts jumped first and landed on top of my back its breath was hot and smelled of rot, and the bark of trees. Its fangs scraped against my neck, but it missed, slipped, didn't sink its teeth. We tumbled into the water, and I twisted onto my back, rolling over, taking the wild animal with me, forcing it into the water beneath our stacked bodies. With me on top, I let us sink down before I pushed against it and came back up, gasping. I turned, held it under by its chest my fingers grasping it by the fur on its chest. I held it down with all my weight as it thrashed wildly to get free. The others howled from the beach, but none of them dared move closer. Its head kept flicking upward beneath the water, its teeth streaking white under the water's surface, its mouth pushing up froth and bubbles. I pushed my knife into its chest once, twice. The thrashing stopped and I released it from my grip and let it drift away from me. Moon was standing a few feet away, waiting nervously, her weight shifting from one leg to the other, trying her best not to abandon me in her fear. I packed my knife into my satchel and climbed onto her back. Her strong body carried us across the river, and I thanked Gara for making the river so peaceful and Moon so sturdy, and I thanked her that only one of the beasts was daring enough to charge me into the water. We made it to the other side. A few small islands separated us from the mainland. But then we came across another white boulder in the woods, and I knew we were heading in the right way. A little while later, I could see the New York narrow up ahead. We slid past the city limits just as the gospel began to fill the air, as if Gara was either warning us or welcoming us home. After another hour of asking after the husband, Kane looks at me and says, Let's take a break for now. I know I could use it. That woman lived pretty far out of town, and I had to be up damn early. And Harper, try to actually rest this time. He must think it was the dreams that kept me up, and I just pretend that he's right, and I nod. Back in my hotel room, the little growler is gone. My sheets are covered in short black hairs, but I'm too tired to care and collapse under the bug net. I investigate the shallow cuts on my arms and legs, remove the black square from around my neck. It's scabbing nicely. Then I pass out. It's still light out when I wake to the pounding on my door. It's impatient, like the building's on fire. When I open it up, it's my favorite deputy. Well, thank are you woke up this time. He looks annoyed. But what's wrong? I'm still so tired. I feel as if my body is still lying on the bed and only my spirit has opened the door. We found the guy. I perk up. That's great. Is he an interrogation? Forehead grunts. A dark laugh. Not exactly. Kane said to bring you to the stables to ride out to the park. Why the park? I'm gathering my holster and tighten the black square around my neck. Confused, I walk out into the hall, hurry to lock the door behind me. They're securing the scene where they found the body. Body? A strange feeling plumes in my chest. Something is off. Something is not fitting right. Or maybe something is fitting a little too right. I can't tell. But either way, I just mumble, let's go, and hurry past him down the hall. Several deputies are standing on the mounds in the setting sun of the park trying to interview the many women that are flitting across the swampy hills like flies or fairies, ducking their questions. The husband's body is laid out on the muddy planks, bloated, grotesque. Myself and the deputy are making our way towards it. We can make out Willie Haino on top of one of the hills, talking to Kane in animated tones. We can hear them as we get closer. That's the guy! Willie is screaming. He killed my Catalina. He was the one who came and screamed at her all night. I look down at the body, still covered in brown goo. How anyone could tell that's the cheating husband is beyond me. Kane comes down to greet us. Can we get him cleaned up? I say over the body at Kane. He looks like a muddy fish. Good idea. Kane calls over to a group of deputies, and then I notice that Minou is there as well. Her red hair glows even here in the swampy park. You want me to give him a quick wipe? She says calmly as she walks over to us. We just need to know if it's the guy. Kane says it like he's apologizing, and a look passes between them. For a moment, I wonder, but then focus back on the body. Manu leans over and opens a small bag, pulls a large white cloth from it and a bottle that smells sharply upon opening. She dips the cloth into the bottle's neck and then gently wipes some of the dirt from the man's face. As she leans over him, some of the liquid in the bottle spills out and splashes onto the man's chest. A long line of ashen skin is revealed as the mud on his chest slides down onto the plank beneath his body. It's him, Kane says. We got him. I want to object, because really, the swamp got him before we did but then I notice something else. Something on the man's chest. Where Minou's solution dripped onto his skin, his once-olive complexion is so pale it's almost blue. But there's something else. Minou, can you give his chest a quick wipe as well? My mind has taken over my words, like it always does in these situations, working quickly to probe my memories. Its logic unfolds before me as it happens. My eyes narrow as she dips the cloth into the bottle and wipes the dirt from the husband's clavicle. She cocks her head to the side. What is that? Deputy Forehead steps closer to get a better look. Manu dips the cloth again and then impatiently pours some of the liquid directly onto the man's torso and rubs him clean. Seriously, what the hell is that? The deputy is now leaning over Manu. "'ignoring the sharp smell. "'I have no idea.' Minu is still crouched down, "'and her and the deputy stare down at the man. "'His bloated body and the sharp marks "'etched into his skin, puffy and protruding. "'Black, perfect lines to form four triangles "'tucked neatly inside a circle, two on each side, facing each other, "'like their dance partners. Manu looks directly at Kane, but he doesn't look up to meet her gaze. He's staring down at the body like he's willing it to sink back into the swamp. Manu looks around at the deputies that have given up on questioning the women and have come to see what the commotion is about. Manu seems anxious, asks again. Seriously, does anyone know what the fuck that is? In the silence that follows... A vision of my father flashes through my mind. And then, with a croaking voice, I hear myself say, I do.